I think that if we were to compare the proportion of one at oneness with one's instrument, I don't think anyone has a higher proportion than Jimi Hendrix, even across disciplines, mm. because th that man had a grip on that guitar. <laughs> like you can take, the, you can even take the guitar away and like it have sounds still coming. <laughs> it's still going to be playing. Becoming Egyptian. there's one thing that me and your co-host have argued most about it is music and why the other person's wrong and should die for their opinion die in a hole right and that's a song isn't it oh no that's down, down in, a in a hole yeah, yeah. um no, and this one's funny because I don't actually know your answer. I kind of knew the last answer to the film thing would be the Titanic, spoiler alert, uh, in case you already watched that one, which is probably like one person, hopefully, hopefully one person has seen the, the previous episode, but you haven't checked that one out after this one too. But I didn't, I, I knew the last one was going to be Titanic. I don't know what this one is going to be. And also, you know, the Titanic, like the movie, like you've seen it. Shit, man. This is an album I haven't heard then it's already invalid as the best album of all time. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. already not the case because I've heard every every contender <laughs> for the best of all time I've heard, right? So I don't want no, you, I don't want no fringe you've shit. You've heard right of here. me talking about this. Okay, all right. Anyway, and then, um, yeah, I guess just to narrow, down it, narrow it down and give a lay of the land, we're pretty much going to be sticking to albums, meaning that this is music post like 1950. Um, yes. We're not doing music as a whole. And when we say album, we, need, we mean your traditional thing you think of, like, you know, 10, 10 tracks, maybe two sides, whatever. Um, yeah, your traditional studio album that's done in, with a producer, with a mix and a master and all that jazz. So nothing too, nothing too esoteric. And knowing us, we, we also don't have any albums that are really new as well on the on our list, just knowing us. And funnily enough, we were talking about in the movies debate, not debate, sorry, the movies episode, that not enough people give credit to the new shit. But in this one, I doubt that we're going to give any credit to the new shit, right? You may be surprised. <laughs> I may be surprised. Okay. <laughs> Incoming Taylor Swift answer from Sid. Anyways, yeah. uh, run us through some of the, run us through your thought process here. What tournament did you run for the albums? Like who yeah. did you have to kick out? This who did was, you have this was to... a lot, lot, lot easier than the movies one. Um, okay. There was sort of like five or six that I was weighing up seriously. Everything else was just a joke. Whereas with the movie one, I literally started with at least 30 or 40 actual contenders. Right. Okay. Um, so you weren't as clouded around this time around i was more clouded but uh with fewer options right so there okay. were five or six and i really couldn't decide between them and then once i narrowed it down to this one i was like yeah how did i not see this right from the start okay all righty then what so okay the near misses the honorable mentions if you will yeah were wish you were here by pink floyd which <sighs> for three years i think was my favorite and greatest album i thought yes yes um you probably shared that thought for a while i maybe. probably still share that thought that's probably an honorable mention for me too yeah um so i had them pink floyd was the highest occurring band or mm. artist in terms of things to consider because they also had dark side of the moon yes animals i briefly thought of and then the wall is just overrated Right, um, I, th I tend to agree with that. I th and I, I think that the Dark Side of the Moon is accurately rated. Like, people rate it highly and it is a, a banger. Like, there's nothing you or me or anyone watching can do about that fact. It's just good, right? There's no subjectivity there. Yeah, it is good, so... 
Pink Floyd, they they were definitely circling around my top, uh, top, top, top as well. Yeah, yeah, and I guess if we were making a ranking of like top fifty albums, they would be the artist to feature the highest amount of times. Yes, but can I just add to your albums that you listed? Medal by Pink Floyd that contains Echoes, which <laughs> is has been for the past few days one of the most magnificent songs that's been revolving around my <laughs> myself as of recently, and um, I, I can't get over the rhythm in Echoes, like the level of rhythm. But also in, in metal, I don't know if you've heard the song Fearless. Mm -hmm. Fearless is in metal as well, yeah. which I think is one of Pink Floyd's best songs, like full stop. Yeah. So metal has two songs that I just can't comprehend, like two songs that they had no right to make that w well, you know? Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So metal was so actually was my honorable mention Pink Floyd album. Interesting. Yeah, because chronologically, I think in terms of time of release, that's like not the Sid Barrett stuff. So it's past the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, all that stuff. <laughs> past the Sorcerer of Sorceries or some bullshit. They haven't the whole commercial peak yet. So this is like a perfect middle ground for a certain um, f section of the Pink Floyd fandom, right? Yeah, and I'm not saying that to be edgy. Like I'm not saying middle just to like d exclude the dark side <laughs> of the moon and the wall. I <laughs> acknowledge that those are great albums. I just, middle echoes is one of the, it just carries it car that song carries the album and then you add fearless which i i've never like heard uh like something tickle your tickle your your heartstrings like that before yeah roger waters is at his best yeah yeah it's crazy yeah. um in terms of other honorable mentions i had and then my second favorite era is the grunge era and mm. for the longest time uh, those albums were hovering around my top. And so the only two that I'd really consider are the two greatest grunge albums, which are 10 and Nevermind, I think. 10's my favorite grunge album. Um, and I, yeah, for the longest time, I guess that was also my favorite album. I thought that was just the pinnacle of humanity as a whole. Who's <laughs> that by again, sorry? Uh, Pearl Jam. Pearl Jam, yes, yes. So I'm not a fan of that band as a whole, but it's one of those where that everything seemed to just come together in that one album and anything beyond and outside of that is just complete actual trash that you find on the road that you might accidentally step on it's roadkill it's roadkill but roadkill with no of, salt yeah it's unseasoned roadkill is everything that's not 10 by pearl jam right yeah yeah and then I other picks were just because i play drums myself and i'm more focused and oriented with percussion than other aspects of music mm -hmm. i um biasly went towards albums like Quadrophenia where overall it's probably not that great conceptually it is but not as much as like the other all-time greats but the drumming is some of the greatest I've ever heard yes um, so you have a heightened appreciation for it and then my other favorite band who I just have to mention is The Police but I think they are like Steven Spielberg they had such an equal distribution of good songs almost planned I would say by Sting and Stewart Stuart, who you will see on our podcast next year. Stuart Copeland, the drummer from The Police, will be on. Um, so, yeah, it's almost planned. Like, they said, okay, well, we've got 10 hits. Yeah. I need it to be two per album, so let's distribute it that way. And so they made a career and a lifetime out of it, but they yeah, didn't have yeah. that one pacing, right? schmacker, you know? Good pacing from them to ensure they didn't go out, they didn't go out of business yeah. too quickly. And Not like Led Zeppelin releasing the, the best story? album first. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you heard the story of Kurt Cobain doing that for Nevermind? 
did he refrain from releasing all his best stuff in Nevermind? No, he did. He did. He said that he knew he had an all-time great album there in terms of pop hits. Um, but he said that he was considering spreading them out over four and making a life career out of it. Right. And then filling out the rest of the albums with random shit. But, but he didn't he said, in the No, I'll just, I'll come up with new stuff again. But then okay. little did he know he was just dead. Phew. Because I was going to say, I, I might not ever have seen so many hits collated into one album like in Nevermind. Yeah. I might not ever have seen that. Yeah. Also statistically, right? I think Thriller is the only one that has more hits. In one album. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What else? What else? What else? Run us through it. Heaps, man. There was there was some Hendrix, um, Electric Ladyland. I remember yeah. the personal experience, like the movement I felt inside of me when I first listened to that from start to finish. Something about that guy's fingers, right? Yes. I want to be... Titillated. Titillated. I want to be touched by that man. Yes. Yeah. Um, so much. Uh, what else was there? Some from a band, I guess, Californication and By The Way are quite up there as well. Yes. Um, and we've been singing those songs a lot recently. Sort of the seminal works of Chili Peppers, who I think are the one of the last great big modern monster bands mm. still left and who are still doing well, live at least. Because I don't count Guns N' Roses and ACDC as still existing just because they're they're, they're out of date, right? Their expiry date's so bad. gone. Arctic Monkeys, though, are still sort of in their prime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not prime, but they're still there, you know? They're valid. Yeah. They're not granddads. Yes, yes, they're dads. Yeah, and they don't attract granddads in the crowd either, right? Which, which is a big indicator of whether or not you're a granddad yourself. Yes. Just look at the crowd in an ACDC concert. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's not to say that granddads shouldn't go out to enjoy themselves. That's not what I'm saying. That should be the case because ACDC playing is sick. And if you want to go reminisce on the days when they were in their prime and you want to go see them too and you're a bit older now, that's sick. But that doesn't make you guys rock stars. Yeah. Rock stars is all about having a crowd fit enough to hold you up when you jump into them, right? You don't want to be snapping arms when you jump into the crowd. You need a bunch of Tyler Durdens in the crowd who can catch you when you fall, basically. Exactly, exactly. And, and that's just not the case with some of these old bands still sticking it out, sticking it to the man as well, which yeah. they're not, by the way. They're not doing that. They're not. Um, I considered Ride the Lightning, which I think is Metallica's best work. I think it's their second or third album. So that, I think, is their... I think they're the second best metal band, and that's their best album. Um... Yeah, those were really the only honorable mentions, five or six in total. A lot less than, than, the, than the, film, the film one then, hey? Yeah. Wow, you're getting more precise. You're getting better at picking out the things from your mind, reducing anxiety, analysis paralysis. Yeah, man. What I, were yours? I, I had a few, I had a few, um, actually a lot. I, I think I still had the same struggle with the movies thing that I had where I just initially just, looked through my Spotify albums that I had saved and I was like, shit, everything I saved, I could put at the number one spot, which was like 50 albums. Yeah. But I ended up like coming down to um, a few, um, a few, a very few. One of them being The Dock of the Bay by Otis Redding. That whole album is great. But the main song from that album is one of my favorite songs, Sitting on the Dock of a Bay. Yeah. Um, watching well, what the What is it about Otis? Because you mentioned him a lot in general. 
there's something about like so there's this dreamy music going on in the background with this like worn and torn blues voice in the forefront and that contrast is just so beautiful and yeah sitting on the dock of a bay I don't even know if that's the title but <laughs> it's that song man is just perfect every note everything just harmonizes so much and we were speaking with Tom a few episodes ago about the artist um, their job is a whole making process making something a whole and Otis Redding I feel like had a sensitivity for that in his songwriting because every song every note that's placed forms a part of this whole that's perfect so there's no part of the song where it's like okay I can calm down now because the great part's finished and then mm. I can wait for it to come back up again next time in the next wave yeah it's not like that it's like every single turn that the t song is taking you're just going oh my goodness and there's this part where the guy starts whistling and this is even that that's not just there because we want to have a section where there's whistling it, there's an intentionality there right exactly in my mind at least and I can feel the intentionality because if it wasn't intentional I mean obviously it's intentional if it's there but we mean intentional as in like he was trying to say yeah. something with that yeah um, and if he wasn't then I don't think it would have felt it the same so that's an excellent song but it didn't make the cut it did not make the cut then I had Axis Boulders uh, Axis by Jimi Hendrix um, yeah that you'd be hard pressed to find an argument if you had picked that one though I honestly I think Jimi Hendrix a lot of people will say he's the greatest guitar player of all time but other than that like his singing's not that great and all this bullshit <laughs> and it's not it's, you're not going to get Whitney Houston when you talk about Jimi Hendrix but let's see who's still standing in like 2000 years when the aliens are looking for music on the planet right that's all I'm saying. I think it'll be Jimi Hendrix that stands the test of time over Whitney Houston. But we'll see. We'll see. But with that being said, nobody, nobody can like, give you an actual orgasm with the use of a string instrument like Jimi Hendrix can. Yeah. And that's something to say about why we call him the best because he's not the fastest. He's not the most like, noty guy. He uses silence the best, I think in terms of guitar playing and that's like an important theme that's been coming up in like our analysis of music is like how well are they in in addition to to using noise how well are they using silence and i think some of the people that are considered great overuse i mean over occupy silence mm -hmm. and so the music just feels tasteless and directionlessness <laughs> to me yeah yeah and then the other aspect i've heard you mention about Jimi hendrix is that he's not a guy who's playing the guitar the guitar is an extension of him and there's just one there's just, there's a oneness he's a blob on the screen yes from which the guitar sounds are emanating it's not yes the distinction isn't there and yes and and that's a common that's a common comment like amongst the guitar community about Jimi hendrix is but that's something that just I respect in general, the fact that this man has become such a craftsman, similar to how, I don't know, like a hammer would become like an extension of a sword maker's body, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just... Your brain starts to um, map the tool as part of your body if you're at one with it enough. And I think that was the case for Hendrix and guitar. Exactly. And we see that in many cases, like in other disciplines but the even other instruments yeah even other instruments but i think that if we were to if we were 
to compare the proportion of one at oneness with one's instrument, I don't think anyone has a higher proportion than Jimi Hendrix, even across disciplines, mm. because th that man had a grip on that guitar. <laughs> like you can take, the, you can even take the guitar away and like have it's still coming. <laughs> it's still going to be playing, <laughs> like because yeah. it's coming from here at this point. The yeah. fingers are just an extension of the nerves. So, yeah, yeah, man. And I heard um, this guy I listen to often on podcasts talk about um, how most moments of meaning and purpose come from a synergy between head, heart, and loins. So mm. when your head, heart, and your libidinal uh, sphere are in alignment, that's when you, you have that ah moment. Right. And I think with Jimi Hendrix, the guitar is playing. Yeah, it's his fingers doing the move, but the... The marry that's the marionette. The puppet master is all of his head, heart, and loins. It's coming from everywhere. So yes. he doesn't need a guitar to play the guitar. No, he doesn't. That's what makes him special. But he didn't make it. He didn't make it, right? So he got wow. cut. And even though I've got J a Jimi Hendrix poster in my room, he still got cut. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And yep. this might be one of those today emotions kind of decisions that I cut him because <laughs> tomorrow I might cry that I'd cut him out because I Jimi Hendrix is one of my heroes. But um, moving on, the Beatles, right? Now, the Beatles is a special case <laughs> because not only are the Beatles in contention for the number one album, the Beatles are in contention with five of their own other albums uh, yes. for the number one spot, yeah. which is why they are so crazy. Because I've got Rubber Soul, Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, Revolver, and the most underrated... Oh, I've got the fucking one where they're walking across the pedestrian street. What's that one? Come Together, right? Abbey Road. Abbey Road. And... The White Album's the best because... The White Ringo Album... Star is not in the drums. <laughs> yes. Well, the White Album's great as well. I didn't even think about that. But Let It Be, mm -hmm. I reckon, is the most underrated album from this. Is it like... The best songs that they've made are on there, I reckon. So yeah. the Beatles, I had to have a Beatles discussion amongst the greatness discussion because yeah. these fuckers just have so much good shit. So, and they still didn't make the cut. They didn't make the what? cut. They didn't make the cut. Okay, but just before we get into that, within those five you mentioned, so is it Let It Be then that's the best Beatles album? I think for me personally, and, I'm, and I would be like happy if someone sat across there again and said <laughs> something else, but because uh, in this category, you can, you can go any direction yeah, with no the Beatles. no wrong answers with that. With, with the Beatles, but I reckon it's a toss-up for me between Rubber Soul and Let It Be. Um, but yeah. So arguably the oh. least and most unpolished works. Some of it. Yeah, I would say it's Rubber Soul's a bit more polished than like the early, early like help and all that bullshit that, that's almost inaudible. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I love it. And then Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band, if I'm in the mood for that album, is the best album ever. But mm. I'm not always in the mood to listen yeah, to yeah. Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Heart Club Band. But I'm, the way I'm they. the same way with The Stones. Yeah, the same level of love for them and there's these four albums that it's known as the great rock album run from 1968 to 1972 where they released four, four of their bangers. best albums and um, it was consecutive and their commercial and critical peak and it's one of those like no wrong answers kind of things yeah yeah yeah, yeah I see that with the Stones as well and I, I, the Stones would have that same Beatles battle where you know you want to include a Stones album in the discussion, but first you've got to have a Stones discussion amongst mm. their own albums. But which I is would also say um, 
like you'd want to include those in the discussion because of the reputation of the bands rather than the album as a standalone work mm. because you get caught into the whole folklore of the band's mythos then you're like oh how can i not have the stones in the best album thing or beatles yeah yeah, yeah. and I, I see that argument for, but for me i've genuinely listened to the beatles music the most and so like i can gladly kick that as and as a potential reason for why the Beatles are here, those yeah. albums that I mentioned from the Beatles, and you can check my Spotify, are the most <laughs> albums that like the most listened to albums, because I'm just attached to John Lennon's style of songwriting, yeah. and just the Beatles aesthetic and their sound and everything. And then it obviously helps that like I've got the backing of every single top ten list when I say what I'm saying. Yes. But just luckily I happen to like them. But they didn't make it. Yeah, and I can testify that that's a mere coincidence. You don't need the top ten people's backing to say what you think in general. Like you're a pretty you're you're a black horse in that sense. See, now you're getting racist, right? Just because yeah. I spent a couple days in the sun. Yeah. Okay. You're a white horse. Okay. So, I, they didn't make it, right? Then I had to think to the grunge era, right? <laughs> because I do like the grunge era. Some would say it kickstarted my entire journey into bullshittery into the arts, um, and never mind. Again, like I said, when you mentioned never mind. I don't think I've seen a collation of so many just smashes into one, like other than Thriller and some of the Michael Jackson shit. But talk about just like not being able to skip a song. You can yeah. play that album. Yeah, you don't even skip the one that's literally called Endless Nameless. Endless Nameless is one of those ones where like you will skip it if you've uh, heard the album once. But if you're hearing it for the first time, you'll sit through that shit. Yeah, it's a necessary initiation into the world of Nevermind. Exactly. You will sit through it. But something special about that album. But it didn't make it. So did you just hopscotch straight over like the metal world? Was any metal album even in contention for Top Spot? Uh, not for me personally. <laughs> I'm asking you, so yes, you yes, personally. Not for me. But not him. Not him, no. Okay. Not for me. Uh, the reason not for me is because I'm actually a bit uneducated when it comes to the metal world, so it's one of those uh, perspectival decisions. It's not necessarily because I've. I, I haven't intentionally left them out because I heard the music and don't like it. I just yeah. haven't actually heard the music. Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah. and whenever I do try to listen to metal, I just don't have that much of an affinity towards it, so. I've left it out because I don't like it and also because I don't know about it. Yeah, that's um, me and folk. Like the whole Simon and Garfunkel thing. I don't get it. Mm, mm. See, now I like folk. Yeah. Yeah. And you could imagine that from me as well. Yeah. I guess so. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So I really like Bob Dylan, but he wasn't in the conversation. But anyways. Yeah. Um, on to the who I picked, man. Now, I kind of had an inkling that I was going to pick this album from the start which is why all these other guys didn't make it but the best album that I'm naming the best of all time um, is Ziggy Stardust Ooh. and the Spiders from Mars this yes. is what I'm naming okay. as the best album of all time man the best simply the best okay what was yours? <laughs> you do your explanation first um, but mine was Fear Inoculum by Tool 
Okay, I don't even know it, man. <laughs> I've never heard it. It's, what a disaster. It's the one I mentioned in the Gregory Camp episode. Um, yes, yes. The 2019 release that they did after 13 years of just disappearing. Okay. Fair enough. Okay. So you can explain that to me why, but then I'll need to go after this and listen to it because I haven't heard it yet. Yep. I think you've played one song for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the greatest song I've ever heard is in that album as well. And usually that's different. Usually it's um, the greatest song is here. But as a whole, this album album is cohesive. here. But let's start with Rise and Fall of Ziggy Stardust. Okay. Actually, no, let's start with your one because we have two. We both can talk about my one. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So we talked a bit at the start about Pink Floyd and how we both have um, like a special place in our heart for Pink Floyd, even if they didn't make the cut. Yes. Um, I think we both would agree they're like a top five ever artist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> artist. <laughs> yeah. But I think uh, Tool are basically they've taken up where Pink Floyd left off and they've perfected it and they've actually done better. Okay. So I think of them as a 21st century or late 20th century Pink Floyd. Um, if Pink Floyd were actually competent. Wow. And I actually mean that because Look at one that. of David Gilmore. One of Pink Floyd's primary claims to fame is how far they are in terms of their competitors conceptually. So we all know that Nick Nick Mason isn't a great drummer. He, you know, he even had session players come in and play the parts for Wish You Were Here not Wish You Were Here, for 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 some of their classic albums. He couldn't even play note for note what he wanted to. What he wanted to. Um, he would make the composition though, I believe. Um, we know Roger Waters is a phenomenal songwriter, but he is not the greatest in terms of intricacies of bass playing. We have like the actual technicians who yep. came after him and before him. Um, David Gilmour, everyone, it's sort of like Jimi Hendrix. He's got a great voice, but not on the, um, if you sit down and objectively look at his range and these kind of aspects, and he's not up there. Yes. So you look, you go through them one by one. I'm forgetting one guy. David Gilmore? David Gilmore, Roger Waters, Nick Mason. And the other guy. Oh, the keyboard guy. The keyboard guy. Um, Richard Wright? Yes. Richard yeah. Wright, yes, 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 yeah. I think he did, He composed a lot of the synth stuff, right? Yes. Yeah. So Which, first of all, that's a big feat. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for me, like the actual individual ability of the instrumentalist is really high. And I place emphasis on that far more than I know you do. Yes. So like yeah. for a synth player, I, like with The Doors, The Doors I thought is a band we both would have mentioned, but I guess we left them out um, because mm. Morrison Hotel is a freak of an album, I think. That's a great album. I forgot about that. And that that's an album where I hear you talk about the organ player as being the greatest. And that's where I, I just don't see that at all because for me, I weigh his actual organ playing ability into the, um, into the fold far more than how well he fits into the band. Right. So, yeah. yeah. So in keeping with that sort of line of thinking, um, Tool one for one are better than every member of Pink Floyd one for one. Okay. I think um, Tool have like maybe top 10 ever players in their respective um, categories. And then I think they have more conceptual work than Pink Floyd. It's, it's probably the only band I've ever come across that... Um, isn't susceptible to like a one-time understanding. You, you actually can't understand what's going on with Tool. Maybe Rush is like that as well. Um, it's so, so layered and so deep. And there's now there's all these meme videos on YouTube about how 
the tool fan base is like the most disgusting and pretentious to come across for the very reasons I'm saying. Like, no, you just don't get it, dude. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. If, if you don't like tool, it's not because they're shit or you just don't like tool. It's because you don't get it, man. Yeah, right. You sound a lot like the Democratic Party. Like, you know, mm. it, it becomes that kind of thing. You just don't understand. But yeah, they've got like a bunch of layering um, of like, they've got the Fibonacci sequence in their seminal album called Lateralis. They've like where the song is a certain length and then this section of a song is a certain sub length that's in keeping with the like natural geometric spiral of the sequence and all right. these things that people just it's sort of like the James Cameron thing we talked about the attention to detail that only certain sections of people care about but I happen to be one of those people mm. um, and then with Tool I also think they're the only band um, who are actually making classical level work so like mozart level bach level i actually think they've they're doing work that's on par with the great symphonies and the reason for that is again layering but this time musical layering so they've got in their latest album fear inoculum so this released in 2019 so it's a 2019 release that you're saying is the best album of all time yeah wow yeah, yeah. and then if i make a list from two to ten Everything is like pre-1980. But right. this is the one. This is why it's even more out... Dist it, it distances everything else even more because it's the only one from um, the time period that yeah. we're in. So the amount of um, sequencing they've got. So they've got... Normally you would think of a rock band as... Let's say you have the rhythm section. You've got the drums and the bass, right? Usually just those two. Sometimes there's additional elements. Those two are locked in. On top of which, the guitar does his thing and he has more harmonic freedom because the, uh, the rhythm section is so locked in. So Danny Carey and, what's his name? Justin Chancellor, I think. Yeah, he's, he might be the bassist. He's, um, those two are locked in, in all the songs, but then there's parts in songs where the drums are locked into the bass, but they're not actually following the bass. There's a cogency there, and so they're coherent but he's actually trading riffs and ideas and themes and motifs with the guitarist. But he's not sacrificing the thing he's doing with the bass alongside while he's doing that. And so the only way you can do that is through something called a polyrhythm, which is literally multiple rhythms at once. Mm -hmm. And so Danny Carey is this master of these weird, weird sequences where he's actually playing his four limbs almost have like four different brains and he's playing He's playing multiple drum kits at one time. And when you try to replicate that, I, my arms nearly flew off trying to learn some of the sequences note for note. It is impossible to play tool songs. Right. Um, there's that element. Um, do you have anything to say so far? So do you feel like you need to have a deeper understanding of musical theory to really appreciate what tool's doing? Is it, does it have that same uh, layman hitting aspect as say the Beatles? I don't think it does, I, and I don't know if that's necessarily a check in its favor or against, but I don't, I don't think it's as layman-friendly as the Beatles by yeah, any stretch. Right, yeah. Um, because the Beatles is also for the music aficionado, but it's not exclusively for the aficionado, whereas I think Tool might be a little more oriented that way. Yes, um, right, you sounds like that. Yeah, yeah, and then there's specific stuff that Maynard does with his vocals, like he does this... Uh, I think it's called staccato, which is a type of rhythm and melody in your vocals where he he paces very differently and it's very stop-start and it's like one word for this 
this section of the music, one word for this. But the way you have to breathe through that is a specialized technique that very few can do. Right, okay. He does weird singing styles. He's got the typical like metal high-pitched screams that he can do, almost as good as like the leaders of the metal genre. Um, then he does Gregorian chants, like yeah. from like church. He's got really weird and unique and interesting embellishments going on there. And the amount of unique elements in the music of Tool requires multiple listens to get. Um, then, yeah, there's so many elements. I could go on forever. But, mm. um, yeah, may maybe that's all for now. I'll think of such, some other stuff as you talk about Ziggy Stardust. If it comes up, we'll go back to that. But for now, that's all that comes to mind. And the other thing is, of course, they've got the whole um, rock, star, rock star etiquette and mystique. Right. You know, they come they out of nowhere. This is the James Cameron thing. They show up out of nowhere, release, and then go away for a decade. Yeah. And yeah. so when we say the new Tool album, we mean four years ago, and it just came out for the Tool fans. It's like, no, we're still digesting this. So uh, Yeah, and, and so that's not a long time at all, four years. Not at all, yeah. Wow, Odd yeah. Odd time signatures, spiraling guitar riffs that you've never heard. They've also got a trickster um, jester element to them where... Um, Adam, the guitarist um, in the new album, he they're doing a certain kind of song called Tempest, which I think is the greatest song I've ever heard, in which he, it's the furthest thing from blues, but he, on the backing of the drums and the bass and the, there's this other like um, melodic instrument they're using, I don't know what it's called. Um, on top of that, he starts playing blues riffs that are in a different time signature to what the drums and bass are playing, which are odd time to begin with. Right, so he's, he's holding on to something that's barely holding on to anything. And the fact that they can keep all of that together in a succinct song that has a start and finish and not completely implode on the spot is mind-blowing to me. And do you feel like it's comprehensible for every... Like uh, we spoke about, it's not like as... It doesn't have that layman-friendly quality like the Beatles or the Stones, but do you think it's at least comprehensible as a song by most people or do you also need to be understanding the different time signatures to enjoy the song or do you think I think you'll know that something's up like you'll know that it's not something you can just go like nodding your head to right yeah at all like you can try nodding your head to it but like every third to. bar your head won't come back because they change signatures right so right, there right. isn't that constancy or that pulse um that keeps you going there is if you sit down and study it and notate it and you figure out when the changes come in the meter but Who's going to do that? That's a layman, right? Yeah. And then yeah. there's the um, just the sonic elements. I think one of the things that Pink Floyd did best to push the boundaries of music was they packaged really simple, um, simple um, notations, but they packaged it very skillfully yep. in the studio. And I think there is a bit of gimmick, gimmickry to that and, you know, like studio trickery. But they just handled it really expertly, and I think Tool also do that. Like, and I, the reason I'm more impressed by Tool is because they're doing it in an era where um, so many people are doing only that, and yet somehow their version of that stands out to me. Right, right. So are they innovators, or are they? I think so. Just there, the there best are some, of their class. Literally, some sounds I hear in that that are new sounds, which is not something you should be saying, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, which is impressive. To to come along so late in the journey of human music. Yeah, yeah. Which everyone will say, oh, there's always something to innovate, but I think it gets harder every time. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, so to say something like that's pretty impressive. 
also I didn't expect you to compare them to Pink Floyd you know I would have expected that they were just in a class of their own because the Pink Floyd comparison I think like I've heard Tool in passing so I guess it doesn't count but (laughs) (laughs) um, there's the pretension right but I think uh, a lot of people will say that, that the Pink Floyd Pink Floyd has this it's like drawing the distinction between a hammer and AI. Like both of them are tools. Uh, excuse the pun, but both of them are tools, and they're on the same ladder of progress. Like in terms of helping humans get faster at their job, but it seems to be incomprehensible that the similarity there. Like I can't see it when I listen to Tool in passing. Yeah. What made you draw that line? I think it's a pretty common line that's drawn in. Sorry, Eula's joining. You want to jo- you want to join? Would you like Eula? to sit here? Eula? Oh, here. This is out of the camera. This one's out of the camera. Say hi to the camera, man. Four, four episodes in a row. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, what were you saying yeah. again? Sorry. It's. I actually didn't come across that myself. I read about it somewhere that they're seen as the our generation's Pink Floyd. I see. And then okay. after the parallels were laid down for me, I was like, yeah, okay, Made all sense. of them add up. Yeah. Right, that's it. That's an interesting parallel. I've, I've the, never the seen someone parallel to Pink Floyd. Concept album driven, which is one mm-hmm. of another key element of Pink Floyd. It's like this album is about this idea, yes. and we're going to expand on it, and also done classically in the sense that we're going to have an exposition, we're going to develop it, then it's going to resolve or recapitulate, like Shine on You Crazy Diamond, right? It's clearly about one thing that develops and um, sort yep, of yep. crescendos into something that crashes, bangs into a minuet, goes down. It's very, very classical in that sense. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. So now I need to go listen to them and see if I can Best see. album ever. Fear Inoculum by Tool. Interesting choice, man. Yeah. Interesting choice. And, and also then there's just the personal experience of it. When I first listened to it, I, I remember Tempest is 15 minutes long. It's, it's a song that's 15 minutes yeah. long. And I've actually heard Tempest. And 12 minutes of that, my jaw was dropped. Oh, it was open. My mouth was just open. So there's the personal. So what happened to the other three? The other three minutes weren't that amazing. Space <laughs> fillers. They just needed to get to 15. Yeah, yeah. Is it 15 on the dot? I'm not sure. Uh, because if it's not, then they should have just cut out the three minutes. Then that's the other Pink Floyd thing. These really lengthy songs that they're not just um, doing for the sake of it. They actually have an uh, intentionality to them. They've got a reason there. A la David Gilmore. So what is the temp- So what is Pink Floyd's Tempest? Like their best song? Echoes? Oh. No, like not their best song, like the same concept. Yeah, yeah, must be Echoes. Or maybe Dogs from Animals. Yes, yes, 17 yeah. or 18 minutes long. It's about one idea. Telling a story. Different sections. Interesting, interesting. Yeah, that, and you reckon they, they compare to Bach and Mozart, so there's not, yeah. a lot of, not a lot of words, I guess, in their music then. No, I just mean musically they compare to Bach and Mozart. Right. Obviously, adding vocals makes it a different makes ball it game. A song. Yeah. Makes it a song, not a um, purely musical piece. But um, yeah, I think that their music is on par with the great classical works. Wow. Wow. Okay. Well, you heard it, guys. You need to go and listen to this Tool. This is not one of those things I think that people are going to like listen to Take upon recommendation. On. Yeah. Like, If you're a Tool fan, you're going to nod along to everything I said. And there's like eight of you in the world. <laughs> and, yeah. and if you're not, you're not going to listen to it because I'm recommending it. And it's one of those things we can live in peace with. Or yeah. can we? No, we, we can only live in peace with it because there's such a small select few of us 
the minute Tool goes mainstream, it's like, nah, you sold out, man. Yeah. See, you're calling yourself us now. So you've really gone deep into Tool. Yeah. Yeah. Us. And you've always been looking for a community. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. Now let's go. Okay, let's go into my selection of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. This is crazy because you've just had a full-on musical analytic session, whereas mine comes purely from. No, it doesn't come purely from the heart because I have some technical commentary about it. But the main thing is it strikes a chord in my heart. Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. But that's boring. So let's skip that. Let's go <laughs> over to the, the the first, the elephant in the room. The first four songs I've just, I've written down on the paper. Okay. Wait, let, let me just get the first four songs. This is the sequence of the first four songs in Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Five years... Oh. Soul Love, Moon Age Daydream, and Starda, uh, Starman. Is that the greatest like A, A side of an album ever? Like, let me just repeat that, guys. Five years, onto Soul Love, onto Moon Age Daydream, onto Starman. Like, you can't, you can't do that. You shouldn't be allowed to do that. Like, someone's ears got raped during that process. Yeah. And first of all, five years for a long time held the number one spot as my favorite song now i guess as time has passed other things come and go five years included comes and goes into that number one spot but the four songs that i mentioned here occupy my top 10 or top 20 so for the first four songs to open an album occupy my top 20 it's just says something else about david bowie and i was saying to you today in the in the room in our house that David Bowie is one of those guys like Jimi Hendrix that if he turned his brand into a band and called it something like the, the Jam and Toast or whatever their band was to be called, all the instrumentalists in that group would be classed as great musicians. But just because um, it's a Bowie piece, we seem to disregard the musicians in there. But mm. in this album, Ziggy Stardust, I did not hear one guitar note out of place. One, not a single one. And when I say out of place, I don't just mean like one guitar note that was played that was out of place. I mean also what was not played was yeah. in place. The space fillers were perfect. The space fillers and the space levers were perfect. So there's, that's doubly as hard as what the initial statement sounds like. It sounds like I'm saying everything that was touched on the guitar was perfect, but it was harder than that. Everything that wasn't touched, perfect, right? The bass line is driving you through like yeah. a spaceship dodging meteors in space. That's how it feels like you're getting driven through this album with the bass line. Yeah. The overdrive, like in terms of effects, just the overdrive, the meatiness, the progression, the forwardness of that bass line throughout the whole thing. The drums... I don't know, you're, you're, you're a drummer, so I don't know that much about the drums, but they fit perfectly, so I'm not going to complain about them because to do yeah. anything more would be silly because I'm calling it the perfect, um, not the perfect, but the best album. And then we move on to David Bowie. Now, we give people ratings a lot of the time, right? Like, <laughs> he's 10 out of 10 this, he's 10 out of 10 this, this guy is 10 out of 10 this, right? David Bowie is a 12 out of 10 songwriter. See you there. He's a 12 out of 10 songwriter. I'm, there, there's a lot of people that will say, oh, those lyrics sound nice, you know? That's all <laughs> they are, though. They just sound nice. Whereas yeah. David Bowie's lyrics are like poetry. 
It's poetry in song above music. So if you strip the words away, there's music. If you put the words in, it's song. And don't mm. be a fool to think that song is easy to achieve because mm. it's not. And a lot of people will try to have David Bowie-esque lyricism going on. But what they say sounds stupid. They'll say, the couch swept clean with sweat. And it will just sound pretentious. Yeah. But yeah, David yeah, yeah. Bowie will say, my right hand swept the pillow clean. But it's the sequence in which yeah. this is it, shit's is been... Is it his delivery? I think... I think it's it's the words. I think it's the sequence of words that he's using. Mm. It's it's not stupid because he has intentionality behind it. And as we discussed, you can't j- self-expression without the intentionality behind it is just flailing and stupid. He has intentionality and people see that and overlook his intentionality for luck or some shit. So they try to say stupid shit like that too and it doesn't work. It's calculated stupid shit and people forget the calculated part. Yes, yes, exactly. And then his voice, right? Like his voice, people will say it's not good and it's not good in the terms that you were just talking about, like tool good, right? It's not, if we evaluate it, it's probably terrible. But I would never, ever want Whitney Houston to say a single word from that album. Every intonation of... David Bowie's is perfect. His tone is perfect. The breaking of his voice is perfect. And and this is a conceptual album to top all conceptual albums. I was just reading the other day, right? Um, in one of the books that I'm reading, that when you're, when you're telling stories to someone, there's two aspects of it. There's the subject matter, so what's actually being told, and then there's the representational um, contribution that it has. So like, how can I act this story out so like if there's characters in the story there's the the subject matter are the characters and then the representation side of it is like how i can take the form of those characters and act it out i can represent it in the real world and so ziggy stardust had both of those because not only did he release the album with a subject matter that was about ziggy stardust the spiders from mars he also then toured in that character for like Mm. a year and a half so he had the subject matter, also had the worldly representation of the subject matter. Yeah. So he had both ends of true poetry going on, right? Yeah. So that's... That's, that's commitment to craft, like 100, 100, right? 100. And I'm pretty sure you couldn't talk to him as anything... It was yeah. method acting. Like, you couldn't talk yeah. to him other than in the character yeah, of like Ziggy Ro- Robert De Niro, eat your heart out. Like, exactly. David Bowie has already done that. David Bowie did it first. And now we got people today, like, doing it. But it's not the same, man. It's not the same because they're not trailblazing the way he did. Yes, um, yes. Y- You see, just after he did it, just like, I think maybe a decade after, you see Prince attempt to do that with Purple Rain. Yeah. Create a whole world within the album. And many argue that he pulled it off. And... Like, I like Purple Rain as well. And what are you going to do? It's not David Bowie. That's the thing. Like, it's not that it's bad because he did what he set out to do. But it's just on the balance, the, the magic and the spark and the intangibles and the unquantifiables of the Bowie stuff is, you know, it's unquestionable. Exactly. So, yeah. Some, and, and then, so that's... And, the, and Bowie did that because who knows why it's because it's the divine spark that was coming out of him prince did that because bowie did that it's like oh yes there's I a reason we can point out right yeah yeah whereas david bowie's to go back to the term hole making his hole making process is novel it's new because it's honestly art like in the sense that we're using it now but 
he, he's coming out of nowhere and he clearly got visited by the muse for that album because that album is inspired. Yeah, and almost uh, scarily, like collective unconsciously inspired in a way that even he couldn't tap back into like the year after. It was yes. literally like a um, perfect coming, perfect storm kind of thing, lightning in a bottle that he trapped. Only he could have trapped, but even he couldn't trap a year later, you know? Exactly. So we have like the same this discussion of like whose fault is the art? Is it the artist's fault or is it some otherworldly entity's fault? But the artist happened to be the vessel for it. Mm. But David Bowie, you know he's special because this wasn't luck. Like he's done this before with other great albums and he's got great albums. And in fact, Golden Years is probably one of my favorite songs in general. So he's got other great albums but this was one of those moments where he saw such a grandiose idea coming past him that he managed to catch as well and turn it into an album that's just endlessly impressive but he definitely was an artist in that sense that he could do that multiple times obviously that idea would never pass again his his life in a sense was sacrificed to being a vessel for humanity right like he was his job was to be uh, perpetually possessed to deliver yes. stuff to us that an ordinary man couldn't um, intelligibly comprehend. Yes, yes. Only he could do it. Yes. And that's what makes him a vessel and that's what makes him an artist in the way we've been speaking about. Yes. And so we talk about se- selling one's soul, right? And we talk about it joke- jokingly with like the Led Zeppelins of the world and the, well... The, the Van the, Halens of the, the world. The Van Halens of the world, the metal, the Motley Crue guys selling your soul to the devil for this kind of music. Whereas I don't think Bowie sold his soul to the devil, but if we're taking like rationality as one aspect of the soul, David Bowie sold his soul. He wasn't able to be rational anymore. He wasn't able to be um, like respectable. He wasn't able to tread with caution anymore. He wasn't able to do these things anymore. He sold it. He sold the ability to do this in order to portray the beautiful. Yeah. So, and... It's sad that we portray a negative emotion or depict a negative emotional charge to the concept of selling your soul, but the one in a hundred times that it comes off, we get the Ziggy Stardust album. Yeah. Then you have the 99,000 pretenders who are trying to replicate. Yeah, and, and, it's, and then it's like Re- satanic and it's just bullshit. Yes, but yeah. And like, okay, so there's this idea that the artist has to be separate from his art, right? It's just whatever the divine spark um, provokes and invokes out of him is what he lays onto the page or yes. the blank canvas. And I think Bowie did that with Ziggy Stardust. But then you have the people who are, this is what I'm saying, like divine spark and replication are opposites. Mm. The minute you're trying to do something because it's, you're actively consciously trying to do something, it's not art in the way we're speaking about it, uh, especially musically. But with Bowie, he couldn't help but make Ziggy Stardust because he wasn't making, he wasn't making it. He was a passive receiver from the gods of the idea. Yes, yes. And, I'd, and, and that also to some people might sound like David Bowie in this situation is redundant. But this is why I'm saying he is special because he's done it again and again and again. So he's not redundant. He clearly has a special ability to pull this out, to pull this out from wherever it's, from wherever it's blowing in the wind. The ability to pull this out is something he's shown time and time again with yes. all of his other albums. He's, I'm just happening yeah. to say that this was the best pull. This was the time he hit it for a six. Yeah. Like He's constantly plucking things out of air that short people can't reach. Yes, yes. But he this was, was his pluck. best pluck. This was his best pluck, man. And that's the story of why I vote Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars. Yeah. 
or the rise and fall of Ziggy Stardust and the Spiders from Mars as one of his best. And him, um, you know, like basically embodying the whole alias when he goes on tour afterwards to promote the album or to play it out. Again, like, yeah, he chose to do that, but he chose to do that. Like it inhabited him. Like, he yes, no he chose in big quotation marks. This guy took method acting, as we just discussed, to the selling your soul level, not to the choice making level. Yeah. He took it way past that. Way, 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 way past that. Yeah. And and I guess selling soul it brings it back to like an earthly capitalistic viewpoint on selling soul. It's more like sacrificing soul. Like he had an idea that he wanted to give to the world out of generosity, whether 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 the art can be interpreted well or poorly and whether the effects are bad or good, he had to make a sacrifice to let something like that go because you aren't like with many actors when they say oh after he played that role he just didn't seem to be the same as a human afterwards same goes for like david bowie where that that was a soul sacrifice i reckon yeah and the shift in his actual core self not self but like sense of identity and sense of self um after each um successive album was like seismic shifts inside of him he was not the same guy after Ziggy Stardust as he was after Station to Station exactly yeah like who knows who the actual core baby inside of David Bowie actually was like where his mom envisioned him to be when he grew up versus where he ended up like yeah exactly worlds apart but he's like a gift to the collective yes yeah exactly but yeah that's all I have to say at the moment for that album man I think you explained the Tool album very well drew some nice parallels for the people that are are interested in listening to what we suggested today. Also, in the last episode, we said that you should drop in the comments what you're thinking is the best um, movies at that time. But now do it for albums as well. Tell us what you think are the best albums. And also the, also the new stuff and the new music. Like, what are your reasons for why technically or heartly it is the you perceive it to be the best? So let us know what that is. Um, yeah also check out the tool stuff in case you're interested in some yeah. of the parallels that Sid was drawing you know open two tabs here open Pink Floyd and open tool and then notice the superiority of tool and legend <laughs> has it that when you play fair inoculum backwards you know how with Dark Side of the Moon when you play it backwards it's the Wizard of Oz mm. when you play tools fear inoculum backwards it's Citizen Kane so if you're interested in that <laughs> check it out shit yeah that's funny. All those backwards things are funny, eh? Yeah, yeah. Because anything backwards is something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you can't really be special for doing that. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Nah, anyways, guys, catch you in the next one. Thanks, Sid. Yeah, and one. we'll see you next week to talk about our favorite, what's it going to be? Book. Favorite book. No, not our favorite. The best, greatest book. The best book of all but time. But those two have to be the same. They're the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. All righty. Thank you so much for watching. Bye.